You know, you don't often get to talk to a national living treasure. You don't often get to sit and explore the life and work and heart and soul of somebody who genuinely has changed the lives of young people for the better in our nation. Helen Colony is one of those people. She's the inaugural Commissioner for Children and Young People for South Australia. She's been doing the gig since April 2017. She's had a long career in human services. She's a, a remarkable person who really understands the importance of voice agency and advocacy in the lives of young children. I'm just so thrilled to have an opportunity to spend some time with her. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. Their Circle Global School Research Program continues to design and run large international collaborative research projects that improve outcomes, strengthen culture and support the people in schools who are serving the rapidly changing world of their own communities. To find out more about how you can come on this journey, you can visit the link in the description or contact their client associate, Kyle, at kyle at circle.education. That's kyle, K-Y-L-E, at circle.education. Let's go. Hello, Helen. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> you make me sound ancient. The National Living Treasure is something they describe really old people. Oh, look, you know, I, th- I think... <laughs> I am old. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm old too. I think old is, I think old is quite good. I reckon I do old better than I ever did young. But um, look, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a wee chat and have an opportunity to get to know you and to know your work and to share what you're doing with our listeners um, so that they can think about the lives of young people and how they might dignify it in the sort of way that you do with all of your work so thank you i wonder if we can begin right back way when where, where where'd you come from where'd you grow up what was life like for young helen i'm a migrant so my journey started i'm welsh by birth i lived in wales until i think i arrived in australia on my 10th birthday so my childhood was spent uh, in wales and in yorkshire But I always knew, because my dad told me, that we were going somewhere else. So uh, I was always this sense of, um, oh, we were going to have a big adventure in our life. So we left mum, dad and the three kids, left the UK and emigrated to Brisbane. So we ended up in Brizzy in the 70s, uh, quite a different Brisbane to what it is now, Um, and the heat, uh, my mum says the heat, the lack of footpaths and the fact that we were told to take our shoes off when it rained uh, was too much for her to cope with, and so we, we... uh, came down to Adelaide. So Dan got a job in Adelaide and we moved here from Brisbane. It didn't last very long. I still have a hatred of humidity and much prefer cold weather. So we arrived in Adelaide. I went to, I'd been to a lot of schools by the time I got to Adelaide. So uh, my short kind of early years were 
going to lots of different schools because we were moving quite a bit for dad's with dad's work. Uh, got to Adelaide, uh, and I think there was this real like we're going to settle, put down big deep tap roots, and we're just kind of settle in Adelaide. So I went to school in Adelaide, uh, same school. Very, you know, schooling for me was kind of pretty interesting. Um, was the era of, you know, bean bags and caftans and um, and pretty free kind of expression. Uh, even though I was in a kind of Catholic school, all-girls school, it was a very free-thinking, socially liberal, amazing kind of education, really. Um, and I'm still friends with girls I was in school with when I was in primary school, so deep connections. Um, stayed at school, finished, uh, no idea what I wanted to do. So I was pretty, I was good at economics, uh, so I went to, I said, oh, I'll go do economics. So I enrolled in an economics degree at Adelaide Uni, Finished that um, and ended up at the very at the early in early eighties uh, when jobs were scarce. So I like everyone else hit the trails and went overseas. And I was overseas for years, really, just kind of experiencing that whole backpacker life. So picking fruit, working in bars, um, yeah, and I did that. Uh, I reckon it was you know, fine. I'm well. Five years, I ended up doing the big overland hitchhiking trip from London back to Australia. So headed off and it took me, I reckon, a couple of years to get back. Um, and a lot, and in when I was in Europe, I found my husband, uh, who then my then husband. Uh, so we travelled for a few years, came back to Australia, decided we were going to uh, quickly get some money and we were going to head off to um, South America. So that was all the big plan. We were, you know, I quite like that nomadic life, uh, I think. So, so, look, really, so then just came back and instead of um, saving money, we um, invested in things that take your money. So we had a, we had a child. And then we thought, well, we probably need to be a little bit more serious. Um, we said, oh, look, we'll give it another go. So, so I said, all right, we'll have, we'll have this baby. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do with my time? So I thought, oh, look, I'm pretty good at studying. And so I went back to uni. So I spent the next few years um, doing a social work degree. And, and, you know, it was one of those things where people say, oh, you know, why social work? It was the, on the day I went in to enrol, it was the only thing left open that wasn't <laughs> And I went, oh, look, that'll do. And, that, and I had no, I didn't know what social media did. Um, I had no idea. There it is. So I enrolled um, and I thought, oh, I'm pretty good at this. So I stayed there uh, and had, and took a little bit of time to finish my degree, had a few kids and then started, uh, you know, then probably I was, you know, my 30 and finished uni and then came into the workplace and started a career. So, yeah, and and wow. then all over the place. Well, we'll come we'll come to your work experience later because one of the things that we're very interested in is is the, is the whole notion of the formation of a person of formation of their sense of purpose. Let's go right back to the beginning of that particular part of the story, which is about the migrant experience. 
I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the ch- I'm the children of migrants as well too, and there's a little bit of Yorkshire in my background, or, although mostly there's this sort of Polish, Jewish and Irish Catholic sort of sitting there as well too. And my mum describes my grandfather, who I never got to meet. Yeah, he died before I was born. Um, he actually died at the same age I am now, 52. But, you know, she described him as a nomad, and certainly my father was a bit of a nomad as well too. He'd, and at some point, my grandmother said, it's time to put down roots. And so they settled in Bondi and Sydney. And then, you know, my mum met my dad while she was overseas studying in, uh, in you know, for a postgraduate medical degree in, in London. They met at a cricket game. Um, he, he got run, so he decided he'd better marry her because he'd never <laughs> got runs in his life before, I think. But uh, they moved around a lot. And eventually mum said to dad, no, we've got to settle down and they've got a place and sort of... Funnily enough, it was a, it was around about the same time. I was in, in my mid to late teens when mum and dad said, no, this is where we are. And my mum was about the same age where her parents did the same thing. I'm very interested in that notion of Thompson and people like that, the great English social historians would talk about continuity and change. You know, we would talk about adventure and stability. How does that play it out in your sense of your life? And how has that helped shape your perspective of other people's lives? Really interesting, isn't it? I've um, I, I recently saw Belfast, the movie um, that Kenneth Branagh's done, which is loosely based on his journey, the Exodus from um, Ireland to the UK, um, around about the same time that we came from Wales to Australia, and and I was really I was you know moved by the whole thing. I said uh, it was a real tearjerker for me because so much of what I saw was the experience that we had, not you know not nearly as awful as the troubles and things that were happening um, in Ireland, but that real sense of. Um, Knowing you were in a were in a family that was always looking for something more, so there was this kind of um, inspiration and aspiration, I guess, this sense of there was something better out there and that we should go and find it. So that came through strongly in my family, but also um, I'd say that my family. Are, partic- are risk takers in that sense. They, you know, they were quite young. My parents at the time they were in their early thirties. Um, travel was expensive. They weren't thinking they were going to be popping back to the UK very often. Um, so there was this really big adventure, risk taking, striving for something better, and the future being very positive. So the future was always portrayed to me in my life as something good, positive, and something that was exciting. Uh, And I think that's the kind of thing that really sits with you. So change, so I'm a, um, you know, I get bored. The problem, the downside is I get bored easily. So (laughs) so I kind of go, oh, God, we've done that, been there, you know, we've sat with this for five minutes, can't we move on? So there is this almost this a bit of a kind of constant need to, um, you know, adrenaline of some form. There's a a restlessness there, though, isn't there? Yeah, about About the status quo. So, So let me take you to the next piece of that which is that restlessness when we're young can be attached to the notion of collecting experiences, just like you did, you know, you set off, got some education, backpacked around, did this, that, and the other, did a whole lot of things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, it develops into a sense of purpose. 
So you yeah. go from something which is almost like lateral, which is that aggregation of different experiences and skill sets and perspectives and so on and so on. But then you develop that sense of now, now here I know what it is that I'm going to do with that. Can you remember when, when that sort of started developing in you? I think um, that's where education for me really kicked in. So it was definitely my schooling that gave to me, gave, you know, kind of opened up this notion that you should really live your life in a way that you're going to leave something positive and that your actions matter uh, and that individuals can make change. And that was very much a... And, you know, it was a, it was a, a Catholic education, it was nuns, uh, it was mercy nuns, and that notion of mercy I think was absolutely critical for me. It stayed with me, that kind of um, always going in for the underdog, always trying to make sure that justice, you know, was served. So that, I mean, I think young people inherently had this sense of, kids in particular have a sense of fairness and justice, but when it gets fueled by really strong female role models who are actually trying to display justice and mercy every day, it, I reckon that was the turning point for me, particularly as my other experiences of schooling before that had been probably the harsher kind of more punitive kind of education model, which, you know, I was, I talk a lot, I was always in trouble. So I was always getting you know, <laughs> rulers on the fingers and put at the front or the back or outside the class or something. But when I finally found my kind of groove, um, that's when the restlessness, I think, turned into purpose. It's interesting that uh, I think on the whole, that punitive model of education is gone. But, you know, I've still got scars on my knuckles from one of my earlier teachers who had this really cute um, method of, she had a metal-edged ruler, and if you yeah. got answers wrong, she'd whack you across the knuckles, you know, because, yeah. you know, that's that's it, very much in that sort of children are, you know, inherently evil, that they need to be corrected. Empty yeah. vessel, they need to be filled up and they need to be supervised because they're going to do something wrong. It's very much a deficit. Men well, we'd, yeah. we'd use fancy language now, like deficit mentality, um, for the life of me, I just wonder whether those people ever really love children and why you'd go into education if you didn't love children. I'm, I'm fascinated by the notion of female role modelling. Talk to me a little bit more about the nuns and how what it was that they did to help you develop your own sense of what it is that you could do in your life. Yeah, look, I think there was, um, you know, this was the, the 70s. There was, you know, there was... Feminism was was alive and, and well and it was topics of conversation. So they they would discuss issues, they would talk about um, the role of women historically, what was now possible. But I think it was this sense of you can do anything you want uh, as long as it's for good, you know, like you have to look after others and you have, you know, you have obligation because you are here in a place of privilege. So I just think it was this, this, yeah, this kindness 
they were always pushing you in a positive way to be the best that you could. It was also very, um, you know, it was a small school, so it was also very relational. Like you knew everyone knew everyone, and and people. They had a, I had a real strong sense that they understood my strengths and my weaknesses, um, and would look after me. And, you know, and I don't want to be Pollyanna about it. You know, of course there was, you know, some not great ones and there was someone, some teachers who were pretty ordinary and, you know. But as a whole, we, and and there was this sense of, um, you know, we were connected and bonded to each other as peers as well. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting, um, Helen, one of the things that we do at A School for Tomorrow with our research and so on, our listeners will know this because i prattle on about this all the time but we're very interested in the notion of an education for character because we think that's what school's about we think that school is about the the quality of the people that you produce at the end and all the stuff that you do goes into that but you know it's not about the passing of exams to gain you entry into the 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 further passing of exams etc etc it's you know social mobility is an important function of education you know your family and my family are evidence of that but nonetheless what we're here to do is to create today's learning for tomorrow's world. It's mm. the character of a person that influences that. And it's those, those two things you mentioned there, the, the, the type of relationship, which we would call character apprenticeship, and where there's a sort of a passing of the baton of the responsibility of, uh, and, and also that, that bond, that sense of belonging that you have with each other and for each other. I'm interested in two things in particular that you mentioned. You talked about really the obligation the privilege and I, I want I want you to tell me what you think that is in fact there are three things so let's start with that one and then I'm going to go on to the other two what's the obligation of privilege look I think it was this sense of um you know from all of my life around this you don't know how lucky you are there are other people in the world who through no fault of their own experience have a different life experience and if you're able to make a change that means that your advancement is not at the expense of others. That's what you should be aiming to be. I think that that character bit is really interesting. So I don't, I was not the school leader in any shape or form. I was not the kid who was a prefect or an SRC or a school captain or a sport. I was just a pretty, um, you know, I was, I was high academic, like I was smart enough but I was also interested in just having fun and being a bit naughty and a bit of a class clown often. So um, so for me to be able to pick up all of that character building, um, who you are matters uh, and not be in that top kind of group, I think says a lot to the kind of whole culture of the school, which was about producing decent human, decent women really. We went co-ed while I was there and then, um, you know, I think things changed. We had a lot more distraction. But, um, but yeah, so I think that stuff around obligation to leave the world a better place to, you know, it's almost that, that tread lightly and, you know, and be really mindful of who you are was really important. You talked about the idea of being around a spirit of feminism and the idea of doing what you want to do and what you feel you, know, you need to do, as long as it's good. And you mentioned that word decent there at the end. What's a good person? What's a decent person? How do you recognise that? Mm, God. Um, so I think uh, for me that's, 
It's integrity. I think that whole um, walk the talk has been a real kind of theme in my work uh, around, and that whole thing around don't ask people to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Don't set expectations on others that you wouldn't set for yourself. And to recognise that you do, that everyone has an impact on someone uh, and you choose often whether that's going to be positive or negative on a day-to-day basis. And I would say you walk into your office in the morning, you make a choice whether you're going to be the grumpy one who kind of grunts and um, and throws your bag down and, you know, <laughs> kind of huffs and puffs, <laughs> or you're the person who walks in and even if you don't feel like it, does the good morning, how are you, um, and has a kind of that disposition. Because what you do matters, and as a leader, even more so. So you can't, you know, you can't afford to have a bad day when it comes to the impact of your behaviours on others. All of that has come through what I think is a good and decent person, just being really mindful and conscious of your own actions and how they affect others' lives. Okay, so I'm listening to you talking like this. I'm just nodding and smiling and grinning and going, yep, absolutely, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'm reflecting back on the last two weeks of my life and thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm January 2022. I've been grumpy. I've 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 been the grumpy one, and and usually I understand that it's my job not to be the grumpy one, but I have been the grumpy one. So there's always a gap, isn't there, between the expectation we have of ourselves and that our capacity to fulfil that. What do you do about that gap? Oh, I think um, you know. And, and I think January 2022 has been grumpy for most of us. Um, <laughs> I just think it is about, I, you know, I came in and life, we all have lives and I kind of, that's the other bit of this. We all have lives and we all bring, you know, we want to be integrated, we want to be not, you know, not one person in one situation or another. But I think it's about saying when you're the boss, um, you don't have to just say sorry. So I do, you know, try to do a bit of like, I'm sorry, I've been a bit grumpy. Um, or just explaining people, I've had, you know, a, and you have to go into the ins and outs of everything that's happening, but, um, you know, might be saying like, I think COVID's getting to us all, like I'm feeling really grumpy. It's about putting the kind of what you're thinking out into like verbalising stuff. I think my one of my great downfalls perhaps or weaknesses is I, <laughs> I verbalise a lot. So I will talk, um, talk through problem solving uh, and I can do that on my own. It doesn't have to be anyone I talk a lot to myself. So I think just putting stuff out there and we, I'm working at open plan kind of office so it makes it easier to kind of say, oh, sorry, guys, I don't mean to be so grumpy when I walk through or that kind of stuff. I think it's a huge, I think people say no one's, no one should be too important that they can't say sorry. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting thought around the way we function socially with each other in that sort of context, especially given at the moment that that for many of us, we're not in an office situation with each other and actually all we've got are these two-dimensional avatars, wonderful technology that that can connect us um, and that can make us intensely productive. But 
it's not it's it's not a technology that's got all those five senses and it's a challenging thing but i guess we're learning to do that as best we can my final question for you in this episode i want you to talk for a little bit about feminism if you can would you describe yourself as a feminist and if so what's the role of feminism within your context within within society so interesting. Look, I probably, I don't know if I would describe myself, um, I guess I, I'm a humanist, definitely, and I guess I'm a feminist. So I, I, um, I do think that there are, you know, I'm a structuralist as well, so I, I do understand that, you know, that we have, um, well, interrelationships and the, and those kind of interpersonal dynamics are really important when you know our society is structured um, in ways that have historically favored men so in that sense that kind of level of sociological understanding and political understanding of the role and value that women have played it, you know it is a really core part of my framing of the world so I think in that sense I would I would say I'm a feminist I think you know it's really interesting I've got quite a lot of young women in my office uh, and and it's it's a it's not a necessarily a conversation that's been had for the last 10 years it's kind of interesting I think that there's been this growth growth in other in identity politics per se, and people have got all sorts of identities that they're um, identifying with. Feminism isn't probably one of the the ones that jumps out. So where it's all going to land, I don't know. I certainly know that in my, my family, I guess one of the things that was really told me I'm the only daughter, um, and the eldest child, and the um, value of education being the kind of key to doing well in life. So if you get yourself an education, you need more education. My dad always said, you need more of an education than your brothers because you will have to fight harder and life will be more difficult for you as you navigate the world. So in that sense, feminism has been kind of, like part of that whole experience of my life. There it is. Very, 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 thank you again. Very helpful in understanding the context uh, around that. I think this might be a good point for us to pause for the end of this episode. It's been lovely getting to know the earlier part of your life and to, and to explore some of the formative influences and some, some of the ideas that have shaped your work. I'm really looking forward in the next episode to talking about how you came to the role that you do now and, and what that involves. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.